This is a Crow's Nest podcast. and welcome to titanic talk line i am alexia that never changes and i am here with my guest for this week casey council who has a name that's extremely fun to say hello <laughs> thank you <laughs> good to be here um my main i started back when i was probably in middle school with titanic know. in general yeah they you know, they kind of rush through everything during the history. You know, you're on it for about a page, and then you have to turn the page, and then you have to learn about something else really fast. A lot you know, of stuff has happened in the world. world. You know, yeah, a lot. And there were a couple of events that happened that really struck it, but nobody, you know, we were in fifth or sixth grade, so it really didn't, you know, we didn't hound on it too much. But during my high school career, um, you know, I was probably, I don't know, 10 or 11 when I watched the movie. And it really sparked a lot more interest in it than just the movie itself. Mm -hmm. And I started researching it. And, you know, this was 2000, you know, early 2000. So the Internet was really, you know, it was available for us to research you know, basically then it was, uh, what was that? Uncarta 95. Encarta. The old, the old, oh, the old. <laughs> let's go all the way back. That's like pre-Wikipedia. This just reminded me of like a hundred video games I played in the 90s. And I'm just like, there was, I, was it Encarta or was it, it must have been, in, what, Encarta was the one that had like the video game, right? That was Right, attached. that's where the Oregon yeah. Trail was. And I remember there was like a weird like slime maze. There was a lot lot (laughs) happening in that game. Anyway, sorry. I could go off on a pajama Sam tangent for like three hours if we need to. (laughs) And I really started researching it. You know, my main thing were the, um, you know, of course you got all the, you know, the big points, all the, all the big people, but I don't know. I've always been one of those that uh, root for the underdog. You know, I'm thinking about the absolute last person to even leave the ship. You know, the you know, you know, person that didn't wake up, the person that was was in their cabin by themselves, didn't hear anything, and you know, probably had no idea what was going on until it was too late. You know, sure. You know, there, there's a there's a lot of things that I've, I've I think about when it comes to stuff like that. You know, it's always the, the the last person off the boat or the, you know, that, that last little group that helped get the women and children in the lifeboats. And I mean, you know, you were going, I mean, that was, you know, you were gone yeah. and to still have that, that type of, um, I don't know, bravery. And I'm sure there was a lot of screaming and I'm sure there was a lot of yelling, but I, I don't think that it was as chaotic as let's like nine eleven, 
you know, 9-11 was, you know, we'll, we'll get on that too because I wanted to tie that in. But it was just the, I don't know, the calmness and how slow that disaster happened. You know, that was, I don't know, I guess that was really um, the romantic quality of of that disaster versus all, you know, you know, when a disaster happens, it usually happens right then and you're done in 20 minutes, 30 minutes, you know, it's over. You know, there's a lot of carnage. There's a lot of, you know, explosions and blood loss and, you know, but this one was more of a, to me, more of a tragedy than a, you know, you know, it just, it happened really slow. Mm-hmm. I mean, it wasn't, I mean, I mean, you look at everything else and everything else happens so fast, you know, plane crash, you know, if you can get a call out, you know, that's great. But I mean, you're just done, but this one, this one drug on and it was, it was a very slow and slow disaster. And I, I you know, that adds a lot that adds a lot. You got a lot more time to think you got a lot more time to, you know, prepare yourself for what, you know, what's going to happen. And to me, I, I don't, I don't know what I would want. I don't know if I want to have time to plan to do something or just it all end immediately. You know, that's kind of, that's one thing I've never heard anybody really talk about was, is this is the speed of this disaster. Like, Two two hours is a long time. Yeah. When you know something's bad's about to happen. And I've just never I've never really heard anybody talk about the the speed, the slowness of of how this happened. <clears throat> I I've brought up a couple times on the show before um something a little more recent. It's about it's gonna be ten years old this year, um, is the sinking of the seawall ferry. Well, that happened in 2013 off um, South Korea. It wasn't as large as Titanic, but, you know, it had, great, drop my pen. It had primarily, um, I think it was high school students and their teachers on board, um, along with, you know, some assorted other passengers. And this happened in 2013. So as the ferry sank with Um, most of these students and teachers trapped inside there was cell phone calls and Facebook posts and social media videos and photos of all of this happening in real time Mm. I don't I didn't look up how long exactly it took to sink but you know it happened over you know again in real time in front of everybody and it happened long enough to just watch and you know a lot of these recordings are children you know, saying their goodbyes and it's extremely difficult to listen to because, you know, it's having that ability to contemplate things. And, you know, I, I know that there were some people every once in a while, the, well, not every once in a while, every year, the, um, the clip of voicemails left by passengers on the hijacked <laughs> flight, which number I never, the number I never yep. remember that comes out every year and 93, 93. Yes. Uh, flight 93. Yep. And it's it's that same sort of thing where even though it was fast, it gave them enough time to be aware of what was going to happen to try to put out a less a last message. So, I mean, I think that no matter how much or as little time you have, if you have if you're not caught completely by surprise, 
if you have even a moment to think about it, it does, I, I believe will probably make you do so. Yeah. It, um, it was crazy, you know, that, yeah. <laughs> and, and the fact that, you know, I could send you a text right now and you would, you know, before I put my phone down, it's already, you're already watching it. I mean, you're already looking at it and yeah. how instant the messages are now to these people lining up in the streets in New York, waiting at the Marconi uh, office in, I mean, just in droves, you know, they all dressed alike. So that was, that was another thing to me that, that would make, you know, getting um, messages out and trying to find somebody, you know, you had to go through and find their names, you know, had to locate these people and tell them, you know, these are the last messages that, you know, from the Carpathia that they had, they were already sending messages, you know, to New York, letting them know, Hey, we're on here. We're safe. And the ones that didn't. And I just, it's crazy how fast technology has um, advanced. And, you know, it's just the weight, the weight would have killed me. That, that would have been, that would have been tough. It is. And I think even the harder part for that too, is that there was a communications blackout ordered from the Carpathia, you know, so they, and wisely so I will say, you know, it it was probably extremely smart to do so, even though it did, you know, you could argue that it was maybe not the right choice to make, but unfortunately Mm -hmm. there was, we saw already with headlines that came out around the time, the first headlines that came out were something along the lines of like, titanic strikes iceberg all life saved and you know reporting mm-hmm. everyone was fine that the ship was going to be able to make it into new york of its own volition and you know it's easy for there to be conflicting information so i'm sure it was really difficult but i guess at the end it's like i, d- I understand why they they did that because you know it was going to be difficult news either way and you didn't want people just running around with crazy shut like because they were already doing that right And we we can't get the news right now. <laughs> you, can't no. get, you can't get the truth now on news. So I don't, I don't think that will truth. ever change. You can't get the truth now if someone tells it to you, right? If it happens right in front of you. History happens right in front of you. And you're like, that just happened. And someone goes, no, it didn't. I'm like, well, I don't know what to okay. do now. Well, it is what it is. <laughs> right. It's like, cool. I'm glad we had this extremely riveting conversation. I know. <laughs> you start questioning yourself. I don't. I just start questioning why I engaged in that in the first place. I'm like, this was yeah. a waste of my 30 seconds. I'm right. I'm done. <laughs> Before we get too far into nonsense, because I will, you mentioned you have actual like notes. You have bullet points like some of my more prepared people. Yeah. They're um I'm I went to the Biltmore. Mm. Probably that's another one of my favorite places. Um, I went up there, I had a book that I actually, I found in a, in an antique store down here and there were like four of them. And it was a, um, they had a big dairy at that time and they had a consignment sale for their dairy cows. So I had a book, I had, there was actually four of them. They were consignment books. They were like, you know, during an auction or a consignment sale, you would get a book showing everything that was being sold at that time. Well, in this case, it was a bunch of 
cows, like these dairy cows, and they were really expensive and high quality dairy cows because the Biltmore, the Vanderbilts, they had, you know, top of the line, everything. Sure. Well, it was dated like June the 1st, 1946. Well, I ended up getting a hold of the, the Biltmore and I wanted to donate one of them back to it because um, I had four of them and, you know, that needs to be back. I'm, I'm big on on history and museums and they can take care of it a lot better than I can. And that needs to be, it needs to go back. So I ended up getting a free trip up there and I donated the book and they gave me a free tour of the place. And as one of the, my favorite places in the world, (laughs) I love it. Well, I got to go behind the scenes. I got to go to the archives room, which were, um, they were never on display ever. They'll, they'll never, these were personal documents from the family for, I think 150 years. I mean, everything. These were, these were receipts where they bought clothes, all their tickets from around the world. Um, it was, it was really neat to see all that kind of stuff. And the lady asked me, you know, if I, if I'd seen, if, if I was interested in a, in a couple of things and I told her, um, you know, there was some events that I wanted to see and she had like the newspaper clippings of it. So I got to see the newspaper clipping of the Titanic, the front page story. And they have it, they have it in the archives there, but they also have their boarding passes. Wow. They were set to sail the Titanic and come back Mm -hmm. to America. Well, Mrs. Vanderbilt ended up getting sick and they sailed home two weeks early. So by the time that they made it to New York and made it back down to North Carolina was about two weeks. And when they, I think they had been there, lady told me they had, they had been there for a day, I think maybe either a day or two. And the news of the Titanic was, was front page news. And they were, they still had their boarding pass and their tickets from it, yeah. which was, it was crazy. Um, you know, especially with all the conspiracy theories with, you know, the JP Morgan and, you know, you know, the Vanderbilts was, were, they were right there along with the Astors and, um, they were, they were in that, in that group, in that group. And it was just, it was crazy that they could have been, they could have went, you know, <laughs> they could have been right there with them, but you know, just the fate of her being sick and wanted to come home a little early, a little early from touring the world, save their life. And it's crazy. It's one of the few times when getting sick on vacation actually does you a good favor. Yes. <laughs> But it was it, the, the, you know, the, the boarding pass, the ones that I've seen, you know, in these archives and I saw, you know, at the museum up in uh, Pigeon Forge, there were, um, you got to see a lot of that, you know, over time. And they were very, um, very brown. You know, they had aged, you know, a lot of these boarding passes were crumbled up, you know, shoved in a, in a coat pocket and then, you know, over the years they had those initial wrinkles in it and then they were flat. This one 
it had a little bit of tan, a little bit of discolor to it, but it was remarkable how flat and perfect it, it looked like it was a year old. That's what it looked like to me. And I mean, it was in, but they'll, that is something that would never be on display. Um, like out in glass or anything like that. I was very fortunate to be able to see that kind of stuff. Um, it was, it was, it was neat. I mean, two of my, you know, the Biltmore and the Titanic are two of my favorite, you know, events in, in history. And I got to see both of them at the exact same place. That was, <laughs> that doesn't happen a lot. That is pretty I cool. just, I, I really thought that was, that was neat. I think it's neat. Yeah, that was, um, and it was just, you know, the, they had deck chairs, you know, from that. I mean, they still, you know, it, the thing about the Biltmore, because it was built, you know, in 1895 and, you know, all of that same architecture came from England and they brought it over here and all that was still used in the type. So, I mean, if you ever, uh, two of the Biltmore, it's, it's like stepping back in time. You get to see a lot of that. Um, a lot of the woodwork, a lot of the chairs look the same, the dishes, you know, all the china, all, you know, the glasses, the, the wheel, there was a wheelchair there. I mean, it's, it's really, uh, it's really neat that you can actually see that kind of stuff up front. I just, I'm, I'm, I'm big into that kind of stuff. <laughs> no, I'm a, I'm an interactive learner myself. There's, I, I don't find a substitute between being able to see things. Yeah. Photographs and videos are wonderful, especially for places and things that I'll never get to see. Like I'm, I'm, I'm never going to go visit some places and some things have been lost mm-hmm. to time that I'll never get to see. And it's like that. Understandable. Like, and I'm never voluntarily going down to the Mariana Trench. So show me videos no. of that. All you, get, get the fuck out of here. No, I'm not. No, I'm like, that's fascinating. And I'll look at videos of that, but I'm not freaking going. No right. way. But there's yeah. certain, there is a certain benefit to being able to see, if not, you know, like, for example, the Titanic, the things that you can to be able to make that tactile connection to things. You know, for the same reason that you go visit, you know, when you're even when you're literally your parents, you know, quote unquote, drag you to old places. Right. It's for the same reason. It's like, yeah, because it's it's important to understand that this thing that was here 300 years ago is still here right now. It's Yeah, that's crazy. And the thing is, is not only that is that is that there's people that are interested in keeping it. Yeah. You know, I'm just. I'm kind of an old soul and I, I like antiques. I like all the old stuff, you know, and preserving it and seeing people my age, they just don't, you know, a lot of them just don't care. Um, <laughs> there's a lot of people down here that will take a piece of antique furniture that looks just amazing and they'll take it and paint it like a, <laughs> some wild color. And it, it kills me. <laughs> the woodwork in it is just is magnificent. And then you know these the people that build it, if they could see what they've done to it, I could see them just dropping their head. <laughs> I think I saw something many years ago online where it was like this beautiful. I think it was an Indian dresser. So originally it had, um, whoop, <clears throat> excuse me, like inlaid portraits of some of the gods and the goddesses. Very traditional. <laughs> And someone took it, and I, I don't remember exactly what colors, but they painted it like yellow, 
and painted over the gods with like flat colors and made it like yellow with like pink and blue accents and some and people were like what did you do uh <laughs> the same way <laughs> or like i also kind of feel bad for that person because i'm like i'm sure you thought it looked good you like very bless your soul bless your heart little thing there is one place that i would i don't think i'll ever make it up there but i if it does happen it would be neat would to go to um nova scotia at the halifax and be able to go see the cemetery where they where they buried all the ones that were recovered um the mackie bennett yes uh that part right there was another big one um amazon's got some really good documentaries um Got some, they got some really bad ones, but they've, they've got some good ones. And that was, that was one I was watching a couple of weeks ago that um, really stood out. It was, it was basically the story. It, it happened. It started the night. I mean, it started like the day after where they were um, commissioned to go pick up the bodies. So they were hiring the people and, you know, you know, basically getting that, um, those 75 guys ready to go back out there and, you know, prepare them, you know, you know, I psyching those people up and tell them, Hey, you know, we're about to pick up these people, you know, in the back of your mind, you still think, Oh, we're about to go pick up a couple of survivors, but you know, there's probably going to be, you know, a few of them that have, you know, passed on that there, you know, that little bit of hope that there are still survivors just out there floating, you know, you always have it in your back of your mind until you actually see it. And um, I thought it was really neat that the uh, John Barnstead, John Henry Barnstead, he was the, what, what is, I guess he was the registrar of Halifax. He was the one that basically kept up with who died, who was born. He was kind of the, you know, the, the census person, you know, he did everything, but it was just sure. him. And, um, what a you know, fun job. Yeah. And in his notes, I know, um, he was writing and, you know, the first day, um, when, when they went out there, you know, it, it was, they actually required them, you know, or, or offered them, um, four ounces of rum to be able to calm their nerves, to be able to, to deal with what, you know, what they're about to do. And after the second day, he upped it to eight ounces after he had seen after the, you know, the first day of, of pulling the bodies from the water and what it had done to those, to those guys. And, That's you know, sad. it took a lot of, um, you know, with all the, the mental health issues that people have on, you know, this year, you know, this, this time, that you can, I mean, there's apps on your phone that, you know, if you've got something you need to get off your mind, you can just talk to somebody, you know, and, you know, we, we've got a lot of real big problems, you know, I think now and it's very, you know, I'm all for it. Um, I've used it. <laughs> I just, I just think every, everybody's got something to, you know, that they need to talk to somebody else about that's not family or close friend. You want to talk to a, a third party and, you know, just 
these and not people, your when buddy they got done, and not some weirdo at the bar either. Right. Like an actual right. person that can give you a real healthy yes. opinion. Yeah, an actual removed opinion of your of the situation. And you know, it really just it, it kind of got to me, you know, because these these guys when they got home, you know, they pulled a couple hundred bodies out. The ones that they could pull out and not the ones that they just, you know, they took all their effects off and bagged them up and, and buried them at sea. Um, you know, they had to live with that for the rest of their life. And, you know, back then being a man was, and you gotta be a man. <laughs> you had to, you had to bottle that back down and not even think about bringing it up to anybody, you know, and I think it really, it really got to them. And I, um, I think one of the, you know, out of all the deaths, you know, there were, there were a ton of them, but I think the saddest one that I, that I came across was, I think it was on day four. It was either day three or day four. And they pulled a three-year-old little boy from the water. And he said the boat just stopped. Nobody said a word. All the commotion stopped. And it was just a, you know, you know, you're pulling, you know, bodies out of the water. Here's a body. Here's a body. Here's a body. It gets, you know, I've got a couple of friends that work in medical and, um, you know, they, you get used to that. That's just something you get used to. And I guess after a day or two, you got used to it. It's just one after another. And it, it, they were doing it so fast that you didn't have time to really think about what's going on. Hey, these, you know, this is another person. This is another person. This is another person. You know, you just keep going on. And, you know, I just, I, I, I thought it was very, um, to me, I think it would be very surreal when they, when they pulled that little boy up and everything just stopped. And the fact that they donated all of the, the crew on that boat, they donated a part of their pay. All of them, they all got together and paid for a private service and a, and a headstone for that little boy. I thought that was just, that's probably the best thing anybody could have ever done in your life. You know, no matter what they did for the rest of their life, to me, I thought that was probably one of the grandest things a human being could do for another human being. They had no idea who this child was and all of them got together and did this for them. You know, there's, you know, with all the hate in the world and just everybody has got a problem with everybody. I think deep down, everybody has got a soul to me at some point. All of that stuff doesn't matter. And then when it hits you in your face, that's when it matters. You know, I, I just thought that was probably one of those beautiful parts of this entire tragedy over, you know, with everything, you know, from it striking the iceberg to today out of everything. I, I still think that that is one of the greatest moments that could have ever come out of this. <laughs> It's the acknowledgement of humanity. Mm -hmm. it's, it was crazy. And I didn't, um, I read a little bit more about him. Uh, John Barnstead. Mm -hmm. um, you know, he was, there were, 
there was a boat called boat. There was a ship called the Atlantic that had wrecked and whipped. Um, Ooh, sorry. Before you move on, uh, I looked up. uh, I'd forgotten the name of the baby, but they did a mitochondrial DNA test in 2007. Mm -hmm. And the body of the baby was identified as 19 month old Sydney Leslie Goodwin. Oh, I did and, not know that. Mm-hmm. And what happened is um, the crew of the Mackie Bennett split the $100,000 reward for the recovery of Aster's body. Yep. Yep. And then they used that money to pay for the burial. And then, you know, many, 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 many years later, he was identified. Ah, that was crazy. And I read a little bit more about that. Uh, John Barnstead. Um, there was a there was a ship that wrecked about forty years before that was a complete disaster. Um, I don't know the number. I haven't looked into the actual shipwreck, but I was I was reading about John, um, and it was called the Atlantic, and it had ran aground right off of Halifax, and the recovery effort was the the worst. Up until that point, yes, um, they lost bodies. They wouldn't put them on the boats. They were, you know, stripping the clothes and robbing these people, and then just pushed them back out in the water. The crews just stole so much money and jewelry. I mean, it was, and it was all on him. You know, that was that was on that town, and they had a big, you know, a negative aura over that entire city for the longest time. Because of the that. Atlantic was so, a horrible tragedy. It yep. was. It, I think everyone except for like one or two people <laughs> lived. Yeah, and, I, I, I still need to research that entire thing. Um, I I just looked it up because um, I've looked up the Atlantic several times because it's another White Star Line ship. So I brought it up on the show uh-huh. several times, and I've never noticed this um, fun fact. Not to completely derail the tone here. <laughs> but it says that um, according to a newspaper account, you know, divers were paid money to recover some of the bodies. And one of the recovered bodies was that of a crewman who turned out to be a crew woman in disguise. Really? She, yep. She went uh, this according to the newspaper account. She went by the name of Bill and was a big favorite among the crew. And uh, one of the quotes here from somebody is, I didn't know Bill was a woman. Used to take his grog as regular as any of us and was always begging or stealing tobacco. He was a good fellow, though. And I am sorry he was a woman. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you, sir. I apologize if that derailed you, but um, no, 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 I had no, never that was... noticed that fact before. And I've looked up that page a few times. It's like, I actually think that's kind of a cute story. What like year one of those... it sink? Oh, man, that sank in 1873? 73. And I, I just saw the casualty number somewhere. The shift manifest that of the 952 aboard... Um, 553 at least died. It's mm. a lot. It's crazy. Yeah, the Atlantic was not a great moment in time for the White Star Line. 
Yeah, after you got a couple of them like that, you might as well just kind of give up. Maybe you're. Well, I was just talking to. Maybe you're not set out for that. (laughs) I don't think it's that. I was just talking to a friend of mine about this, actually, because, you know, air travel is now for us outside of cars. Like, if you're going to go to another country, country, Mm -hmm. if you're going to go to another country, you're going to take an airplane. Or at least if you're going to another continent, you know, obviously within there's certain driving within here. However, up until like the 60s or 70s, when that became available commercially, I don't know of time. Um, it was if you needed to go across the ocean, you had to take a ship for most of history. It has been a variety of shipping vessels from paddles to sails to steam it's been a massive progression and I think it's easy to forget that just for like hundreds and hundreds and hundreds and hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years, there were just ships. Ahoy. They were everywhere. (laughs) And because of that, there were just liable to be some that shit happened to not even necessarily by malice, just storms, icebergs, any number of things that could have just happened. And especially when the ships are primarily made out of wood, there could have been flames. There could have been fires. There was a lot of that kind of thing. So I think it's less that like maybe White Star Line wasn't good at building ships and maybe like we're just not meant to fight the ocean all the time. Right. <laughs> you know, I, I, I think watching, that might be um, the lesson. <laughs> there was one I kind of jumped up off the couch. Um, I think it was two weeks ago. We were watching um, the new 1923 on uh, Paramount with Harrison see. Ford. Okay. It's it's really good. Um, well, there there was um, one of the sons or or cousin. He's coming from Africa and going back to the United States, and he gets to the port and he's walking down the uh, down the dock and they and they pan back and pan up, and uh, they were needing to send a wire you know, to America, um, to let them know that he's on his way. And, you know, he's in Africa. So, I mean, there's, you had to be on a big ship in order to, you know, to send wire transfers and they pan back and it's the Mauritania, which is one of the ones from the Canard line. And I jumped up and I was, (laughs) I thought it was really neat. (laughs) It is. It's fun to be able to identify those, those little details about things. It, It tells you you're learning. Yeah, <laughs> there was um, uh, Mr. Barnes said there was one more thing. He, the way that he, you know, he had that, he had that weight, um, on his chest to be able to do this right. You know, he had one chance to redeem that that town. You know, back on the map, and they want to do it right, and to do it, you know, fair and honest, and you know you know, this was a, a horrible tragedy. You need to do this right. right. And, you know, he really, he really put his head down and started to think. And I didn't know this. Um, the, which now is very, you know, I would think anybody who had any type of common sense would think about this, um, is that they had the numbered bags, you know, they had a body bag and then you had a numbered for your, valuables for the you know whatever they collected off the person and those two numbers coincided with a description of the body so they would bring that body in um whether it would be one that was being embalmed or one that they were burying at sea 
you know, he would do a full description of that body, you know, male height, you know, the weight, you know, the whole, you know, estimate on all that hair color, you know, any, any outstanding features, you know, would be wrote down and would be correlated with that. And it is still used today. You know, they did a clip to the Coast Guard and they, they actually have it and they call it, it's the Barnstead method. You know, they have a mass casualty. You know, the first thing you do is, you know, you take all the valuables off the person, put them in a bag that coincides with the tag that's either on their toe or their wrist or, or, or however. And, um, it was where it really came in was on September 11th during nine 11. Yeah. And they, they did the exact same thing. And I, I thought that was a, you know, that, I mean, just to me, you know, I can't believe nobody thought of that to begin with. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Especially, you know, I guess, you know, after the Civil War, it wasn't, you know, they could have done it. But, of course, they, you know, not a lot of them had a lot of identification on them. So, I, you know, I just thought that was pretty neat that, you know, even to this day was mm-hmm. something that was started from from that tragedy that we still use today. <laughs> this you know, is that- a much more lighthearted example but I really love I Love Lucy, the old show. <laughs> and Desi Arnaz was really involved in the production of that show. For anyone who doesn't real who doesn't know that, he and Lucy were actually really involved in the making of the show and then the creating of their own production company. But one thing that he introduced that we still use today really popularly in like sitcoms and certain TV shows is the three camera setup. That allows to do certain. Oh, I uh, didn't know that. Yeah, certain types of quick cuts and pans are figured out from that three camera setup that keeps the set reasonably minimal, but uh-huh. still allows for that feeling. So it, it's that sort of thing where, again, it's so ubiquitous and just part of how shows are made now. When you're trying to set a certain tone or achieve a certain fact, that you don't think about the fact that someone at one point was like, hey, I've got this this. radical idea. Why don't we just give it a crazy go? And now every, (laughs) right. And now everyone's like, oh yeah, the super standard method of filmmaking, you noob. Yeah. We've known that for years. Right. Like, of course you would put the valuables in the corresponding bag, you moron. Where else would you put it in your pocket? But you know, at one point in time, this was clearly not obvious to somebody. Have you ever thought about pointing the camera that way? I have no, I never even thought about it. What about using another camera? You are a pioneer. <laughs> you, you're a, you you ever tell you you're pretty crazy there, man? You're crazy. Who told you you were just good at sweeping the floors? You, you've got something up there in that noggin. You've got something going on up there. It's true, though. There's so many things that are like thought... obvious. And then it's like, actually, someone at one point in time was a real super genius and figured out that maybe we should really try that sometime. Yeah. <laughs> um, another thing that I thought that was a, uh, a huge slap in the face <laughs> to the family was uh, of Jock Hume, the violinist. Yes. His father got the note 
from the company that he works for asking them to pay for the suit that he never returned. That sounds like something that would happen today. I, I can imagine. You imagine just sitting around eating breakfast or, or lunch or whatever, and you're going through the mail and you see this one and it's from the, I forgot the name of the company he was hired from, <laughs> you know, and they didn't even say, Hey, sorry for your loss. They were just saying, Hey, we need to get that money back. Cause he never brought it back. This really does remind me of something you feel like you'd hear on like ABC seven on your side, where it'd be like, yeah, this man thought that the worst that could possibly happen from losing his grandson was losing his son, his grandson. But yeah. what it turns out the company was concerned about was losing his grandson suit. Yeah. We're here with Susan, who has the story. You're like, this just sounds You can't even nuts. listen to it because she's cussing so much and it's bleeped out. Right in the background, all you just hear is beep. Yeah, imagine being the person like you're sitting down and you're like, okay, hey, I need you to write this letter to right. them. Oh, what do you want it to say? Um, we need this. Obviously, the suit's not coming back. We need uh, his parents. You know, they probably still don't even know um, if his body's been recovered. But um, while they're waiting, <laughs> they can issue a check for his suit since they're hanging out. I, mean, I would you, be. You, you got to collect. How else are you? Gonna I, I would mail money? something back to him, but I don't. I don't think it would be a form of payment. Casey, how else are you going to become a billionaire if you don't get everything you're due? Like this is just not. <laughs> you business. know, you know, for weeks he kept going by. He went, did they ever? No, they haven't. Are you sure? No. Let me tell you. Um, I don't think we're ever getting that money. I'm going to steal a comment. Just- that I think let's just, I found ride, on, let's just ride that out write that one out this reminds me of a comment I heard on TikTok which was something along the lines of it's entirely possible that my initial reaction would have landed me on primetime news and I think <laughs> that I'm gonna start using that because that's about how I would react if someone was like hey you know your really really young relative who died like I don't know super recently yeah, he had these shoes of mine on when he died, and I'm never going to get them back. So could you just, like, write me a check for that? Sure. I'm right on it. Yeah, let's have that conversation <laughs> in person somewhere where there's not a lot of witnesses. <laughs> meet me in the park. Meet me, meet, me, meet me in the parking lot by the slide. Sure, I'm, I'm on the way with them right now. Jeez. It is fascinating. We were just talking about these wonderful trauma-stricken sailors who pooled their reward money to buy the headstone for an orphan. And then we're Mm -hmm. talking about um, the company that's like, yeah, yeah, recoup on that suit from the dead guy. I know. And there had to be humor. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm one of those that I think everything's funny. Um, I wouldn't have found it funny at the time. Right. <laughs> there had to have been some, to me, as bad luck as I have, I could see <laughs> I could see me trying to keep my shoes dry and then <laughs> somebody jump off the side and then splash water back up and go, of course. Mm-hmm. Of course they would get my shoes wet before they really need to get wet. 
I can see that. I like to think that I would handle things like that, but I know that exactly how I would handle that. And that would just be like, what the fuck is wrong with you? Yeah, it would, <laughs> wouldn't go well or kindly or nice. I always think of really, really witty and funny things to say 25 minutes later, but in the moment, it's just super unoriginal. It's just like. <laughs> or could you imagine being the one that was just randomly walking by when they're all getting together and Thomas Andrews and they, you know, they're discussing, you know, how much longer do we? No, she's going to sink. Like, we have like an hour, hour and a half left. She's going down. And then the person walking by going, I'm sorry, what did you just say? That, you know, that's a thing that the always... guy on the side, uh, he just said, uh, we passed an iceberg. What do you mean we have an hour and a half? Nothing. It's nothing. No, no, bullshit. You just said we have an hour and a half. What do you, what do you mean by that? I remember in the movie that always this, this was a detail that drove me crazy, but I also now as an adult know how sound stages work. But there's the scene where the carpenter, Andrews and Smith and a couple of the other officers are all walking on the deck. You know, they pass Jack and Rose and he's being mm-hmm. like, water's coming in. The pumps are not going to be able to get ahead. They're having this really loud and urgent discussion. <laughs> and the only people who seem to hear are Jack and Rose. Like, again, it is a movie. I understand that they had to, like, tell the other people, like, quiet on the set. But, like, if I were just an extra and somebody walked by me being like, well, there's water in three holes. What? Sorry. 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 Did anyone else hear that? Or is this out of my, like, my depth here? So, yeah, that was always a thing that fascinated me. Because it's like, if somebody walked by me looking that official and one of them was the captain being like, we're going down. It's like, I'm listening to that, man. And it it doesn't help that he's got nine rolls of the blueprint up under both arms walking. And he's really sweaty. Like he looks super. (laughs) Even like the one guy at the back corner when they're eating dinner, see him walking up, going, "Shit, shit, shit, shit." I think (laughs) what is going on? It's just honey. What's going on? Um, Um, All the blueprints are out for the ship. Remember that little bump we just hit? Oh, that's nothing, dear. <laughs> Bullshit. <laughs> it's one of those things it where, like, something. if it was taking place this year when you were on your phone, kind of walking to through, like, being like, yeah, I don't know what's going on. Like, I was just about to go to bed, but yeah, I don't know. It's probably nothing in the. Sorry, like, everyone important on the ship just went by and they're all sweating a ton and carrying every blueprint. I think I need to find out what's going on, Mom. I'll call and you And the back. heat's really not on, so it's not, they're not coming from a hot room. Right. It's like, it's also negative <laughs> 604 degrees right here, so that is not natural sweat. I need to investigate. Love you! <laughs> I can imagine. It's very suspicious like if, it, if it happened now, you know, nobody, you know, you see all those videos of those people just getting there. They're ass kicked in the middle of the road. And instead of helping these people, <laughs> you know, you got these people taking videos and I can imagine all this stuff going down and everybody's trying to make a video of it instead of putting your phone down and trying to save everybody. Like that's, I think that I think it would be a lot worse if it happened today. I don't know. Either worse or better. I would snatch, I would snatch so many phones and throw them out. <laughs> I just hope that we never have to go through any of that ridiculousness. I mean, but unfortunately, I brought up the Seawall Ferry 20 minutes ago, and that only happened 10 years ago. So it's... Hey, what was the one? It didn't happen that long ago. It was that the big cruise, cruise ship? ship. I think it was over in... The Costa Concordia? Yes, that one. Yeah, Costa Concordia. That sunk 
Yeah. They really I just googled it. Just yeah, kind of like. Yeah, kind of does. Yeah, it, it that does not. That's not great either. But that that whole thing happened in two thousand and four. No, oh, the Seawall Ferry is more recent. I said. That was two thousand twelve. No, that's 2013, 2014. I was like, that was very recent. Extremely recent, actually. It was just, the, what blows my mind is that when they were, <clears throat> you know, they're walking through, you know, signing off on this thing. Mm-hmm. They're like, oh, how many people do we have on board? You know, over 2,000. Oh, okay. How many boats do you have? How many lifeboats? Not that many. All right. Yeah check anything else you got enough dishes for everybody oh yeah definitely on top of that every person that eats they all have five plates to eat but we only have enough lifeboats to save a third of them thank you (laughs) it is so weird to consider how safety standards change like again things that are so obvious now it's like well obviously you have enough lifeboats for everyone but back in the day it was like well you don't you don't really need them because Titanic's a lifeboat in and of itself. You just need yeah. these like for a minute, just temporarily. And I, and I read something not even had had nothing to do with the Titanic. Um, I was reading a uh, it was a book about warships, and um, they were talking about you know their first line. You know if a if a um, a liner like that would would falter, you know it's so close. You know the probability of them of them sinking would be in the harbor, mm-hmm. you know, backing into another boat or, you know, running aground and tipping over, you know, it was always right there. So people, there were, there were so many boats around. All they had to do was just zip over there and save them. You know, they weren't, they never expected in the middle of the ocean where there's nothing to hit something and then sink, you know, immediately. Yeah. And it was, <laughs> It still, I mean, I don't think I would. I mean, I guess they just had more faith in in people back then. You know, now you know people in power; those are the those are the worst people in the world to trust. You can't trust them for anything. Oh, they told me they had a yeah. We got enough lifeboats. There's no way I would get on a boat that did not have more than enough. Like when everybody's off, there still should be three or four. Sure, left. All these things we know today, right? Yeah. (laughs) And I think, you know, Bruce Ismay is another one that I, you know, everybody's got their their own opinion about him. But, you know, I don't think he was, I don't think he was a coward. I think he was, I think he was severely traumatized to the point that he, when that happened, I think, I think he actually lost his mind that night. Like I really thought that, you know, I really think that he, he lost his, I, th- I think he lost his soul that night, you know, to a point, you know, I think everything he, everything he'd ever worked for just went down. And I don't think, you know, people say he should have went down with the ship. Look, you don't know what you're going to do until you're in that situation. If there's an open seat, I'm getting on it. I don't care. It's going to happen. I think that's you know, how most, you know, most people think about things, you know, yeah. honestly. And I, 
to me, you know, I think he was too, you know, traumatized from the whole thing. But, you know, the first thing that I would have done if I was him was uh, I would give it a few days before I got back on another boat. But I would make it back to the White Star Line and everybody would come in there for a meeting. And from that day forward, everything would change drastically. You would start with safety. You would start with better communication of the ships. You would start with being charged. You know, I think there, there should have been, you know, criminal charges, you know, after the fact that if you sent out any type of distress signal, you know, whether it be on the wire or rockets or anything, you know, you should, even if there's boats that are going, you know, even if one takes off towards it, the other ones need to point their noses to it and everybody go there. You know, I think that, you know, they should have been, you know, that's the first thing, you know, when somebody gets in a wreck on the, on the highway, the first thing that happens is seven or eight cars pull over and everybody gets out and helps. You don't just sit around and wait for somebody to flag. You don't see that. You know, when something like that happens, everybody jumps, you get in that mode of, you know, you've got to, you know, it's time to, you know, step up and save somebody. Well, I and guess I just, if I'm ever in a disaster, I think I should make sure it happens with you because you'll yeah, help me. Definitely. <laughs> <laughs> well, I am glad to have established that. But Casey, thank you so much for coming on and for talking about so many things and being, you know, honest and willing to just talk about a few different things. That's what keeps the show going, just having a conversation. Yeah. <laughs> awesome. Well, thank well, you so much. Let's do it again one day. Absolutely. That would be amazing. And uh, for everyone listening, I'll see you guys next time. All right. Thank you. See ya. Titanic Talkline was created and produced by me, Alexia. Be sure to keep up with the show on all the social medias at Titanic Talkline on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. That is all one word. Titanic Talkline, T-I-T-A-N-I-C-T-A-L-K-L-I-N-E. If you want to get in touch, be on the show, sponsor the show, or have a question or anything you want to tell me, send me an email at titanictalkline, again, all one word, at gmail.com. That's titanictalkline at gmail.com. Thanks so much, and I'll see you next time. Bye!